morning. Yeah, you're here. You're ready to roll. I appreciate that. All right, let's, uh, let's start out today with a little talk to your neighbor time. All right, so I want you to talk with a couple people around you about this question. What do you have a disproportionate love for? Okay, now, now if, this, if this helps you, if this helps you roll with it, and if it doesn't, just leave it, stick with the first question. The other way you could get at it is like, if you had one infomercial to make, like, what is it? What's the infomercial for? All right? Talk to people around you. Go. <clears throat> All right, bring it back in, bring it back in. Okay, who can throw out, what's a, what's a disproportionate love that either you have or somebody had? Uh, Mason, I'm afraid, but go ahead. Toaster strudels. Toaster strudels, mm. All right, what do we get from the back? Somebody yelled something. What? Minimalist footwear. Okay, okay. Uh, there was some sort of demonstration happening right here. Was that related to the question or a different thing? No, okay, you were just doing your own thing. What do you got? Fantasy football. Fantasy football, okay, yeah. The Gopher women's hockey team. The Gopher, oh, yeah, let's go. Go, Gopher. The women's team, specifically. Yeah! Yeah, all right, all right, all right, I like it. Uh... Okay, so, so for me, I've got a couple disproportionate loves. So uh, one of them is golf. So yeah, okay, okay. I wasn't sure what the reaction would be. It's kind of like a mixed bag, which is roughly what I was expecting. But, uh, but I just wanted you guys to know 
You, you are in the presence of uh, the seven-year-old state peewee tournament champion. So, and did they actually call it the state peewee tournament? Yes, they did. Uh, I got a trophy in a closet somewhere. Uh, I am disproportionately passionate about cooking, and in particular cooking meat. And doing it properly, like properly cooked meat, it's a big deal in my life, which is why, so I'm confused by this thing that happens in our culture, okay? You go to a restaurant, and you order a steak, or you're in college, so maybe your parents order a steak for you, uh, sometimes a burger, and they ask you this question, how would you like that prepared? Which, which I'm very confused by, because there's only one appropriate answer to that question. That is the correct answer. Yes. There, there are no other correct answers. There's just right and wrong. So I don't understand why they're asking you. Like when you order something else, they don't ask you, would you like this burned? They just cook it properly, right? And now if you're one of those people, hey, are, are we good over here? We're just talking about, talking about meat. All right, bring it back in. <laughs> no, if you're, if, you're, if, you're one of those, if you're one of those people, uh, that is like, Jordan, I'm, I'm creeped out by the blood in the middle. Uh, here, here's what I have for you. Like, you're better than that. Do better than that. It's not actually blood. It's a protein called mycoglobin that happens when the meat is exposed to temperature. And so the fact that it's red in the middle and changing colors is because it's cooked, not because it's not cooked. You're college-educated people, all right? Figure it out. It's cooked properly. I'm passionate about that. So I've got, I've got some, some takes about stuff that I love. But I, I want to tell you about something that I love, like, categorically more. Okay, dad moment approaching. I talked about my wife yesterday, talking about my kids today. I, I love some other stuff, but I love my kids. Uh, yeah, so this is, this is, I got a photo do we got this of Graham? Wait, is this? Yeah, there he is. Look at him. Look at him. I don't know why he's so proud sitting on those pumpkins, but look at that like little smirk, you know? So, so this is this is my three-year-old Graham. He's about to turn. He's about to turn four, and uh, the dude is just a champion. He uh, he's very accident prone. He runs like a goose. So his head is like out in front of him with his arms behind and he runs like this. And so he falls on his face on a regular basis. Uh, and so as a dad, I try to hype him up. And so when he has to go to the doctor, I call it a doctor adventure because it just adds like intrigue, you know? And so I have this memory with him. We, we were pulling into the doctor. He was hurt pretty bad, but I go to get him out of his car seat and he's just like, dad, are we at the doctor adventure? I'm so excited. I can't wait. It's just like, dude, you're the best. Uh, then my other kiddo is Joy. Yeah, this is her. And uh, so Joy just turned one. She, uh, like when she was learning how to walk, she, would, she was in this phase where she was pulling herself up on stuff. And Joy's body dances when she hears music. Like it's not a decision she's making. It's just like what her body does. And so she would pull herself up on stuff, and then if music was playing, she would just dance her way off of it and fall over. But she would just get back up and do it again because she just loves dancing. Like, that's just who she is. And I, man, 
man, like, I just have this illogical dad pride about them. That, like, we were having connection group the other day, what you guys call campus groups, and uh, my son came up, and potty training has been, like, a little bit of a beast for him. And he came up, and he had gone to the bathroom, and he was so proud. So he walked up in the middle of our Bible study and announced that he had just pooped. Like, that, that happened in the middle of our group. And what a normal human being would do in that moment is be like, dude, this is awkward. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. But what I did is like, yeah, like, Graham, get it. You did it, man. Like, I have this, this illogical pride around my kids because I'm their dad. And I love them categorically more than I love anything or anyone else. I want you to know that God feels that way about you. Like, hear me, hear me say this. I know we're, like, just getting going. But if God were to look through the cosmos and think about everything that's his and everything that he has created... And if I were to ask him what his favorite part is, he would talk about the things that he, that he loves, that he made. He loves stars and galaxies and planets and atoms. He loves elephants and birds and these things that he created. But he would pause and he would say, but the thing I love more than anything else, the thing that I love categorically more, and then he would talk about you. And he would tell stories about how he delights in you. And about how you're the best thing that he made. And that's because of who he is. He's your dad. And like it's, it's inherent in the nature of a father to delight in their children. And that's a little bit about what we talked about last night. But I also want to talk about this morning that it's also because of who you are. He delights in you. You are the... You're, you're the favorite part of his creation because of who you are in Christ. And so hear me on this. We're talking about glory. Last night, we talked about how God is glorious. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. You are the single most glorious thing in all of creation. You are the pinnacle of the created world. You are glorious in him. And that's what we're talking about today. About how when you experience Jesus Christ, when you enter into relationship with you, it's not just that he is glorious, but that he envelops you in his glory. That some of his radiant goodness begins to wash off on you. And even before you meet Jesus, here, here's what's true of human beings. Here's what Christians believe is that human beings were created in the image of God and are therefore inherently valuable and worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. Some of you have been degraded in your life. People in your life have disrespected you. They haven't treated you with dignity or worth or value. And I want you to know that your father is angry about that. Because he sees the inherent value with which he created you. And he's angry at the destruction 
or the mockery of his creation. You bear the image of God. You display divine splendor in the very nature of who you are as a human being. And regardless of who you are, regardless of your background, regardless of where you grew up, regardless of your race, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you are worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. And if that was ever taken from you, it's deeply wrong. And your father hates it. And he wants to pursue you differently. But for you specifically, if you're a Christian, if you have trusted in Jesus. I want you to know that even beyond that, you have an upgrade in Christ. And it's called being united to Christ. And that's what we're talking about this morning, Colossians 1, 26 through 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying there's a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations. There's a secret about what it means to be human. The core of what your life is about and what your life is for. And that mystery has been intentionally hidden by God throughout previous generations, but it's been revealed so now we can know it. Now we can know what our lives are for and what they're about. And, and please listen, I, I don't have adequate words for this astounding reality. There's nothing that I can say that would do justice to this truth from Scripture this is literally the single greatest thing that you will ever hear in your life. You will learn and know so many things that are wonderful throughout your life. This is the greatest of all of them. This is the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed. It's that Christ is in you and you are in him if you have trusted him. That you have been united to Christ, what's called union with Christ that you can become one with Christ, where in some senses you become indistinguishable from him and he becomes indistinguishable from you. Where your being and your soul can be welded together with Jesus Christ. You think about what welding is, is essentially you're putting two pieces of metal that are separate side by side. You're functionally melting them so that they become liquid and kind of get intermixed. And then when they harden, the two things have become one. That's what happens to you when you trust in Jesus and you become a Christian. Is two distinct things in a lot of ways. Jesus and you now in many ways become one. Where if you were to try to piece out where you end and where Jesus begins, you wouldn't be able to because you've become one in him. 2 Peter 1.4 says that God wants you to participate in the divine nature. What? That? That sounds like something that isn't okay to say, but it's in the Bible. He wants you to participate in the Trinity. That is the goal of Christianity, this, this eternal communal love within God that's deeply mysterious but equally beautiful, that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from before time ever began into eternity future, are loving and enjoying one another. God wants to wrap you up into that reality. 
Paul, right before he talks about the glory of, or the, our union with Christ here, is talking about the riches of the glory of God. When you have riches, you put them somewhere for safekeeping. When you have money, you put it in a bank. When you have gold, you put it in a safe. Jesus stores his glory in you. That's where he puts it. I want to read you, uh, it's a pretty long quote from a guy by the name of Dane Ortland, but I, I love it, so I wanted to share it with you. If you can bear with an irreverent illustration, think of yourself as an onion. The outer peel consists of the peripheral things about you, the parts of you that don't matter much. Your clothes, the car you drive, things like that. Peel that away. The next deeper layer is your relationships. Your dearest friends, your roommates if you're a student, your spouse if you're married. Peel that away. The next deeper layer is what you believe about the world, the truths you cherish deep in your heart, who you believe God is, what your final future is, where you think world history is heading. The next deeper layer after that comprises your sins and secrets, past and present. Things about you no one else knows. Keep peeling that away layer after layer. Everything that makes you, you. What do you find at the core? You are united to Christ. That is the most irreducible reality about you. Peel everything else away in the solid, immovable truth about you is your union with a resurrected Christ. As I mentioned, if you have been degraded or devalued by someone else or maybe by you, maybe you have this internal self-talk that is kind of perpetually putting you down and talking to you about how much you've fallen short, how much you don't match up, how you're alone, whatever. Here's what I want you to know, is if you have trusted in Jesus, You are him and he is you. And he is not ashamed of you. He is proud of you. He delights in you. And God the Father rejoices over you the same way that he rejoices over his son. Because you, in a very real sense, are his son. You are united to Christ. There is not a a higher standing that you could possibly attain in this life than what you already have in him. There's nothing else you need, nowhere else you could go. You have everything that you could want or need in him. So I want to unpack that reality a little bit more. And I want to look at verses 12 through 14. I want to point out two major things that you have if you are in Christ. The first one is that you have the status of Christ because you're redeemed. The status or the standing of Christ. In verse 2, you have the reward of Christ. You are qualified. All right, so first one, you're redeemed. You have the status of Christ. Verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. 
So here he's talking about these competing domains. Do you see that there? He's, it says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into a new domain. So he's talking about these, these domains that are fighting with one another. There's the domain of darkness, which is everything wrong with the world, everything evil. And then there's the domain of the beloved son, the domain of light. And those two domains, those two kingdoms are fighting with each other. They're at war with one another. And all human beings, contrary to most of our instincts, are by nature and by action part of the domain of darkness, not a part of the domain of light. That, that's important. Where you naturally gravitate towards is not things that are right and good and beautiful in this world. You gravitate towards the domain of darkness. And because of that, we participated in the declaration of war on God. We're fighting with him. And if you don't think that's true, if that's hard for you to believe that that's true of you or true of human beings in general, I want you to imagine something, okay? I want you to imagine that if I right now had a recording of your entire life, everything you've ever done in public and in private, and not only that, uh, everything that you've ever thought and every motivation you've ever had when you've interacted with other people. So everything you've ever done or thought or felt. And then I said, we've got a recording of it. And actually as part of the fall retreat, we're going to play it on the screens and we're all going to watch it together. How would you feel? My guess is not great. And it's because, like, do you have good in you? Of course you do. But you also have the domain of darkness in you. There's a lot of darkness in you. And because of that, you're in conflict with God by nature. All of us are. But Jesus doesn't want that conflict with us. He wants peace. The word peace in the Bible is the word shalom. It means not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of everything good and right in the world. That's what Jesus wanted with you, so he created a peace treaty with us where he would transfer us from that domain of darkness and make us citizens of his new kingdom of light. So it's not just that he's eradicated your sin, but he's introduced you to citizenship in a whole other realm, his realm. Okay, so this would be like, imagine if after World War II, so there was these things called the Nuremberg Trials, which were, were where Germans who had committed war crimes were put on trial. And it was clear that they were guilty. It wasn't really a normal trial, but it was just to sort of publicly display that what had happened was horrible and was wrong. So I want you to imagine if during the Nuremberg Trials, if Winston Churchill, who was the Prime Minister of Britain, uh, who had won the war in a lot of ways, along with the Allies, imagine if Winston Churchill went over to Germany and he showed up at these trials and he heard this list of the crimes that these people had committed. And he stood up at the end of the verdict and he grabbed the gavel and he dropped it and said, guilty. But then he also said, forgiven. And then imagine if not only that, but he said, he walked up to this person and handed them a passport and said, hey, you are a citizen of England now. And then got on 
a boat with them and went back to England and walked around with them as a free person experiencing the rights of the side that had won. That is the type of thing that this is talking about here where it's transferred you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, let me acknowledge something. That feels a little cringy. Why? Because it's not justice. Like when someone is guilty in particular of horrible things, there's an instinct in us that wants to say they deserve the punishment. They deserve justice for what they've done. And so it feels a little bit odd to us. And I want to say exactly that's grace. Grace is not justice, which might be odd from the outside looking in. But when you're the one experiencing grace, when you're the one experiencing mercy, it transforms everything about your life because you realize what you deserve for what you've done. And not only was it not given to you, but you were given citizenship of a new kingdom. That is amazing. And it's what Christ has done and can do for you because he came to redeem people. God in Christ redeems you and forgives you of your sins. Redeems means to pay a debt for previous wrongs done. It's not that God um, is not just in giving the appropriate declaration for things that are done wrong. It's just that he pays it for you so that you don't have to pay it. And if you've trusted in Christ, he's paid your total debt and traded you his perfect life, which means that it now would be unjust to punish you because the debt has been paid in full. And it's because Jesus is standing in your place, and he is good on your behalf. But it is important that we realize that it's not that God doesn't hate sin, that he doesn't defend people that are sinned against. It's just that when you transfer sides, he's no longer fighting against you, he's fighting for you. It's not that God doesn't fight against things that are wrong, it just matters deeply which side you're on. When I was younger, I mentioned I like playing golf. I was playing golf with my, my buddy, Brandon, who was like a, a family friend. And I was, I don't know, you know, 11 or 12, something like that, and we were golfing. And there was these guys in front of us they were just going like insanely slow and not letting us kind of pass through. And my buddy Brandon was just getting more and more angry. It was just like building, okay? And so we got to this hole where we were waiting for him forever. And Brandon looks at me and he goes, just hit a warning shot. Just hit one up there by him so they kind of know we mean business. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's what we should do in this situation. And he's like, no, trust me, just hit one up there. You're not gonna hit him anyway, it'll be fine. And so I step up and I rip one perfectly at them and I'm watching it in the air as it's flying towards their cart and I'm about to yell four and Brandon just goes, don't yell four. Okay? And so this thing flies and it hits the top of their cart, bounces off and flies directly past one of their heads. Not great, could have been pretty bad. And so now I'm standing there in the fairway and these guys like whip around and are just glaring at me and they give me a signal of their displeasure. They flip me the bird, guys. And uh, they, so then I think, okay, like I can take it, that's fair. But then they hop in their cart and they, they whip the cart around and start driving back towards us. And I'm now freaking out a little bit. I'm just standing there like, oh no, what do we do? What's gonna happen? This is about to be the first golf fight in the history of the world. 
And so they're, they're driving at us, but then my buddy Brandon just steps up out of the cart. And here's what you need to know about Brandon is he, he was a family friend, so he's older than me. He was a college basketball player. He was 6'8", 275, just ripped. And he also had a flat top for unknown reasons. So it just added to like the vibe, the intense vibe. And so Brandon just steps up and he just stands there between me and them just looking at him. And they literally go, and then just turn the cart around and like drive off the hole. I was like, yeah, I told you, that's what's up, you know? Now here's the thing. That, that display of power by Brandon, it was one display of power and of anger from him, but it was experienced entirely differently by those other guys and by me. For me, it felt like protection and love. For them, it felt terrifying. And rightfully so, because if they would have continued forward, it would not have ended well for them, right? So this is what I'm saying. God's display of his power and his justice towards sin is either terrifying or beautiful, depending entirely on whose side you're on. If you're fighting with him in your sin, living your life kind of by your own means, not under his lordship, you should be afraid of God's power. You should not want to pick a fight with God. But if you have been transferred from the dominion of darkness, his power is no longer terrifying for you, but it's actually beautiful because it protects you. Second, you are qualified as a person who is in, in Christ. You've received the reward of Christ. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You are qualified to share in the inheritance of Christ. And what is it that Jesus is owed in his inheritance? Literally everything. It's all, remember last night, it's all created by him and for him, so he will receive all of it at the end of history. And you in Christ are qualified to share in that same inheritance. I want to read you another quote. It's long quote day. This is from, this is from Jonathan Edwards. It's a little bit kind of old-timey, but it's good. By virtue of the believer's union with Christ, he does in fact possess all things. But it may be asked, how does he possess all things? How is a true Christian so much richer than other people? To answer this, I'll tell you what I mean by possessing all things. I mean that God, three in one, all that he is and all that he has and all that he does and all, and all that he has made or done, the whole universe, bodies and spirits, earth and heaven, angels and human, humans and devils, sun, moon, stars, land, sea, fish and fowls, all silver and gold, kings are as much the Christians as the money in his pocket, the clothes he wears, the house he dwells in. Yes, properly his, advantageously his, by virtue of his union with Christ. Because Christ, who certainly does possess all things, is entirely his, so that the Christian possesses it all. Every atom in the universe is managed by Christ, so as to be most to the advantage of the Christian. 
every particle of air or every ray of the sun, so that he and the other world, when he comes to see it, shall sit and enjoy all this vast inheritance with surprising, amazing joy. I want to read again one sentence. Because Christ, who certainly does possess all things, is entirely his, so that the Christian possesses it all. Because Jesus is yours, now everything in him is yours. There's nothing he's holding back from you. Jesus has earned every reward imaginable through his character and his good works. And when you are in Christ, you are treated as if you have earned it too. And so the question is, is how do you qualify for that inheritance? John 1 verse 12. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Look, it's that simple. The way you qualify to inherit everything good in the world in Christ is that you receive him. You open up your hands and you accept him as a gift. You believe in his name. And if you believe in his, ha- in his name, you gain access to the inheritance of Christ. If you feel shame, like you might not belong here, or you might be too far from God, if you trust Jesus, eternal life is your birthright. It's what you're owed. Nobody, not even you and your sin, can take it from you. Because Jesus has qualified you. You have the right to walk up and receive eternal life forever. And no one can say no to you. Because no one can say no to Christ, and you are him, and he is you. And not even your sin or your shame or your doubts or your fears can get in the way of Christ's love for you. His love is stronger than your sin. It's stronger than your doubts. It's stronger than your shame. It's stronger than anything that you ever think could keep you out of his love. You belong here. You belong in him. You belong in eternity forever in Christ. It's yours. So trust him. Believe in Jesus. It really is that simple. It isn't too good to be true. It's right. It's true in him. Trust him. I, uh, when I was thinking about this, so we receive everything in Christ, it reminded me of a, a story from my life. And just to, just to clear this up, there's no more like gotcha illustrations. This is actually a true story. All my illustrations moving forward are, are true. Um, so, uh, my, my cousin lives in California and he invited me out to come hang out with him for a few days a while back. And he told me to bring my clubs. Uh, apparently this is a golf sermon. I didn't think about that until I've now referenced golf three different times. You're welcome. Uh, but he told me to bring my clubs and, and he, he wanted to like get me on a course out there. I'm like, I don't know, man, like you got to ship your clubs. It's, it's a whole thing. Uh, but he's like, no, trust me, like, you're going to want to bring them. And so I bring my golf clubs, whatever, and we hang out for a couple days, and he's like, all right, I got you a tee time tomorrow, and uh, I'm like, you got me a tee time, like, aren't, aren't we playing together? He's like, no, like, I, I can't play this course, but you're going to want to play this course. He's like, I, I have this friend, Jonathan, and I asked him to get you on, like, the private club that he is a part of. So he got you set up with it. I'm like, oh, sweet, that sounds cool. Uh, and so 
I go and, and I'm not like totally sure about it because I'm not playing with anybody I know. I don't even know who Jonathan is. But my cousin just was like, hey, when you get there, just say, I know Jonathan. Like, just say that and you'll be good. I'm like, all right, fair enough. So I start driving. It's about 45 minutes away. It's kind of L.A. area. And so I, I get out of the city and I start getting into some like foothills and eleva- elevation and the houses are getting nicer and nicer. And it's going from, uh, it's going from like nice houses to like straight up mansions. And I am just like, okay, okay, this is cool. And then I turn the corner and I pull up to a gated community with a security guard, like with a gun out front. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's try this. And so I pull up and he's like, what, you know, what, what can I do for you? And I'm like, I know Jonathan. And he was like, oh yeah, Jonathan, like, welcome, come on in. Okay. So he opens up the gates and I drive through these mansions And I'm just kind of looking around and it's like beautiful and amazing. And I turn the corner and I see the clubhouse and it is this like, it's the most insane clubhouse I've ever seen. And I pull into the lot in my like rented Kia, like, you know, whatever. And there's, there's like Ferraris and Maseratis. There's like cars with like the suicide doors the guys are getting up out of. And I pull into my little Kia and I pull into my spot and I'm like, okay, and I go out to get my clubs, and some dude drives up in a golf cart, and it's like, no, 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 please, don't touch those. And he, like, gets my clubs out of the back for me, and he's like, I'm going to take them around and clean them. They'll be in the back for you. And I'm like, okay. And then I walk in to the clubhouse, and there's like a, there's like a greeter there. And they're like, hey, how can I help you? And I'm like, I know Jonathan. And, and she goes, oh, Mr. Adams, we've been expecting you. Okay. And she was like, is there anything you need? Anything I can get for you? And I'm like, what? Like, help me out here. Like, what would I need? And she's like, food, drinks, like anything I can just grab you. Like, it's on us. I'm like, yeah. Like, I'll take like all the food and the drinks. Like, whatever you got, bring it my way. And so she just goes and gets me like a random collection of stuff. And she's like, hey, there's range balls out there. Like, you can just go hit them. I'm like, oh, sweet. So I like head out to the range. There's somebody on the range that's like bringing me waters and stuff. And, and so I'm like doing this. And then I get to the first like tea box and I'm with a random group of people. And I just introduce myself. And it's like a CEO of a company. There's like some dude that knows like actors in LA. There's another CEO of another company. And they're like, who are you? And I'm like, I know Jonathan. And they're like, yeah, Jonathan, we play with him. Like, oh, we're so glad you're here. And then for the rest of the day, more food, more drinks, like on them. It was awesome. And so we just had this awesome day. And then I sat on the deck of the clubhouse afterwards and just like watched the sunset as people like served me food. And it was all because I knew Jonathan. And so it was crazy. And I I like said the name Jonathan and all of a sudden I get everything that he has access to. Everything that he's paid for, everything that that he earned. I say Jonathan's name and all of a sudden I'm treated the way that Jonathan is treated. If you profess the name of Jesus Christ, if you say that Jesus Christ is the Lord and you believe in him, you will receive all of the rewards of Jesus Christ. You will be treated by God the way that Jesus is treated. Everything that he has earned, you now have access to in him. 
Say his name. Let his name be the banner over your life. And that will require your name to be lowered in order for his name to be elevated in your life. But it's such a better existence. You're trading everything you have, yes, for everything that he has. You get to live life in him. All right, so that's all like a little heady, theoretical. Let's get a little practical to finish out here. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's not just that you receive the reward of Christ, but you receive the power of Christ to bear fruit in every good work. You receive the opportunity to actually start living differently because you know Christ. You begin to live into your new identity in him, which will change how you relate to people. So we'll talk about how you relate to other people in a second, but briefly I want to I hit this part of being united to Christ will change how you relate to yourself. A lot of you on the whole are incredibly kind and respectful to other people, but a lot of you are not kind to yourself. Everyone struggles with insecurity in some way or another. Like part of the human condition is to have a pervasive low view of self. And I just wanna tell you, that is not humility. It's pride. Like we just said that you are God's favorite part of his creation. That you are glorious in him, eternal in him. That's what God says about you. And so when you say something different about you, when you lower yourself in that sense, degrade yourself in that sense, you are disagreeing with God's assessment about you. You're saying what you said about me, God, is not true. And that's not humility, it's pride. And what feeds that insecurity is the inner talk. You think with harshness and criticism about yourself when you have generosity towards other people. Some of you guys say things in your own mind to yourself that you would never say to another human being. You damage yourself in a way that you would never damage another being. And this is what I want to say to you. You are glorious and you have no right to talk to yourself that way. Jesus died for you. He redeemed you. And you have no right to tell yourself that you're of lesser worth than him. And so learn the hard and disciplined work to see yourself and talk to yourself the way that Jesus does, and that will transform you into his image. As you put on the reality of your own glory, you will begin to live a more glorious life. Second, this changes the way that you relate to other people. If people are made in the image of God and Christians are united to him, then interacting with human beings is a really weighty thing. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says this, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to yours as to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, 
with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This is true for all people. And even a step further for Christians because we're united with Christ. Every Christian you ever meet or interact with is Christ. That's where the principle of whatever you've done for the least of these you've done for me comes from. Because in a very real sense, the way you treat human beings is how you treat Christ. And when you make fun of people, when you mock people, you mock Christ. When you use people to get something you want, you're using Christ. When you have unforgiveness in your life, you're holding bitterness towards Christ. We live in a culture that values inclusion. And we as Christians should be on the leading edge of that. Because we believe in the inherent dignity and value of all people. Because of Jesus, we honor all people. And the world robs people of dignity, but in Jesus, we restore dignity. And this is actually why I want to plant a church. It's because people have unbelievable dignity in Christ. And they have access to this incredible message that they can have life in him and life to the full. And I want to give my life, every breath that I have by the grace of God, to tell people that Jesus is alive and that they can be alive in him. And ever since I've met him, I've been a deeply flawed and imperfect person, but I've seen a greater vision for my life than living for my name. I want to tell people about him because he's what life is about. And now my life is about that message. And I want to invite people into what they can have in him. And it's why seeing this thing happen has been one of the coolest things that I've ever got to witness in my life. Because we came up here with a dream and a prayer, not knowing what would happen. And now this thing is a reality. And we'll go on kind of past the influence that I can have in it. Because God, by his spirit, is perpetuating the good news and the transformed lives forever. That is so cool to be a part of. And that's what I want to give my life to. And I want to build a community that will restore dignity to people, primarily through an incredible community. We want to live these communal lives where we're rejecting hyper-individualism and embracing this new interconnected way of life, where we live together, restoring dignity together, living in the kingdom of God. I want to introduce that to a new, ple a, a new place so that people can know him. And some of you, should come with me. Yes, this is happening. In particular, you seniors. If Jesus can go from heaven to earth so that you can have new life in him, you can move a couple states away to tell somebody about him. It's worth it. It's a better life. So I'll be doing like a little interest hangout at dinner at six tonight. I'll have a table where we'll just be doing dinner. And if you're interested at all or just want to hear more about church planning, I'll be over by like the couches in the dining center. Just come hang and eat dinner and we'll talk more about that. But listen, that is the call for some of you in this room. And so hear the voice of God right now in that. It's not the call for a lot of you in this room or it's not the call right now. Maybe it is for the future once you graduate, but it's not right now. But I want you to hear this. You are called out by God to go and tell someone about the experience that you've had in Christ. Give your life to something better and more important than your own name. Give your life to telling other people about his name. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you that you have qualified us to share in your inheritance. That you, I love the language of Ephesians, that you've lavished us with everything good in the heavenly places. You, God, are not stingy. You're not holding back. You love us, and you're just pouring out your goodness on us. And so help us to accept that incredible reality. Help us to live into the reality that we are glorious in you and not degrade ourselves or degrade other human beings. And then because of the good news, let us turn, turn around and give our lives to telling other people about you because you're worthy. We love you, God. Thank you for saving us. Amen.